Fellas, say goodbye to Chuck Sherman the boy. I am now a man. I highly recommend you join the club. We are doing the wild thing all night. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Sherman. Sherman, I could build this food. Is that all you gonna eat? General Sherman realized and understood the importance of house music. So, do you know anything about techno? No. Listen. Yeah, you know. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another brand new episode of Sherm in the Booth. I'm, of course, your host, Sherm. Today is Wednesday, May 27th, 2020. This is episode 112, 112. I hope everybody is doing well out there and had a great Memorial Day weekend. I am really, really excited about this interview, guys. This is one of the biggest up-and-coming artists in the electronic music world right now, but he is not an overnight success story. This guy has really come from nothing to something. He goes by the name of Greg Gatsby. Greg Gatsby, ladies and gentlemen. I had so much fun talking to him. He's currently based in LA, but he actually came from the other side of the country in the New England area. He is a six-time Billboard charting artist, and he is such a talented individual. I had so much fun talking to him about a lot of aspects of the music industry. Like I said, this guy's been through a lot, and he had a lot of great stories and insight that I know I enjoyed, and I know a lot of you guys coming up in the game are going to as well. In this interview, guys, we talked about the realities of the music industry from a business and musical perspective, the lifestyles of a touring DJ, and his collaboration process with vocalists. So without further ado, guys, let's get into it right now so you can hear for yourself the story of Greg Gatsby. This is episode 112. Greg, thanks so much again for taking some time, man. Um, Shout out to our mutual friend, Joe, for... uh, plugging us together man like i said i have been following you for a few years now and um it's just been awesome to see your rise man i know you've had so much success in the music game so to kind of come down to my level and you know get a chance to talk to somebody like you really means a lot brother i don't think i'm coming down to any level but thank you i appreciate it (laughs) well you know i I try and be humble so I, i appreciate you've had a lot of success so i've got a long road ahead of me and if anything it's really inspiring to see the journey like someone has been on uh you know for you so you're one of those people you know in my eyes like i've interviewed um a lot of different types of djs and producers but it's really cool to just connect with people like you who like actually make it tangible right because when you get into this game you see the people who have made it really big and then you don't really know how they get there right and then you start getting into the game and you meet people who are one step up two steps up three steps up and then they're willing to kind of extend the hand and give you some advice because in one way or another they were in the same position as you right for sure. Yeah. Sure. So um, I've done my due diligence on research, man. You're originally born in Boston, but you're now based in L.A. Well, OK, so real quick, though, um, you did the right research because that's what everybody <laughs> writes. And we usually use Boston as a as a launching point for conversation because I lived a lot of my life there. A lot of my family's there. My career okay. started there. But okay. I was actually born in New Hampshire and I still have family there as well. Nice. Yeah, New Hampshire. So shout out New Hampshire. That is Shout where I'm going. <laughs> but my family has always been split between Mass and New Hampshire. And if you know anything about New England, yeah. Boston is in every state in New England. That's just our city, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, but that is where I started DJing, going to uh, studios where I went to college, where I grew up visiting every month, you know, and then where I lived almost a decade. So Boston is home for sure. And I do live yeah. in LA now, but I was born in New Hampshire and I feel like I'd never give New Hampshire any love. So. <laughs> Shout out to Hampshire, that is. 
No, for sure. I think a lot of people uh, don't give enough New Hampshire love. So hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's any like musicians from New Hampshire. I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe after this, we'll know some that'll come out of the limelight. Yeah, for sure. So where'd you go to college then? I went to Fisher. It's in the back bay in Boston. Okay. Um, I went there. I, I really went there because it was a balance. I, sports were kind of my, my real passion. Mm-hmm. So I played basketball there. And um, as I visited schools that would take me, because I wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like Duke was calling. As I right. visited schools that I wanted to be close to home and I wanted a travel schedule, a, a, a team that had a real budget that traveled the country. Sure. So I got best of both worlds. And, but it ended up being the best thing for me because that's where I met all the musicians I know. You know, Berkeley School of Music is there. Yeah. There's a hip hop scene there. Um, so that really changed my life for sure. Dude, that's awesome. So did you start out as like an electronic DJ? Like were you DJing before you producing or what was the kind of the timeline into that journey? Cause you were focused on sports. It seems like, right. You played basketball yeah. and you were a boxer yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, music was always a passion and I always worked on it, but I didn't know I was working on it. In other words, I was a little kid in chat rooms sharing files before we had iTunes. I relate and to that. Man, yeah. I, I thought it was fascinating that I could get, you know, my stepdad loved Metallica and, you know, <laughs> and Alice in Chains. And, but I also, but I loved, I loved hip hop, you know, and I also like rock and everything else. But, you know, all these different, I could make CDs with all these different records. And back then that's like, I know kids now, like, they're like, so what? But that was a crazy fucking concept that you could get multiple records from different and put them in one place. Like yeah. when now one came out, I, I was there for that. And that was like, whoa, but you had to go buy it. And it took like a big company. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and we could do it ourselves on a computer. It was fucking insane. You had to do dial up internet. You had to wait forever. <laughs> it, was like, it was like downloading a movie to get one song. You earned but, it. Yeah. And we didn't know that it was like, hurting the music industry which i think it actually forced evolution and maybe helped us but but at the time it technically was wrong but nobody knew yet there wasn't any like no record companies had reached out to sue anybody like we didn't know shit it was just like oh this is cool we can share a song right and you had to buy the song at one point because you had to upload it right but um yeah so that's where i started and then i found a software the coolest thing to me was layup lines you know warm-ups for basketball teams that flowed I didn't understand the concept of a DJ, but what was cool was like the champ is here with Jada Kiss, like Knox, and then it goes right into a Jay-Z record. And I'm like, how the fuck did that happen? (laughs) Searching the internet, I found a software, which was like an early version of GarageBand or something. Yeah. It was free. And in there, I learned that you could cut pieces of songs and put them together. Still didn't know what a DJ was. I knew what a a wedding DJ was, and I knew from like hip hop culture, that there was some guys that spun vinyl and that were super dope. But that was like, that, that to me, they were aliens, like guys that could do that. I didn't know right. it was something anybody could try. How old were you at this point then? It had to be middle school. Maybe, right. like, maybe like fifth or sixth grade. Wow. Maybe fifth grade. So yeah. I don't know how old were you then, like 10? Something, something like that, 12 maybe, yeah. Yeah, so maybe 10 is when I started like cutting up records, but without knowing that there was a career path. And that's yeah. how I got comfortable with the DAW and collecting music and loving music. My uncle happened to be a DJ, but I just knew him as like a wedding DJ and like cheerleading competitions. And I still thought it was cool. And he DJed the local high school's games. And so 
I kind of I hung out with him a bit, and he would give me CDs of like a hundred songs when that was like available then, like these big portfolios mm. and uh, or CD books with like hundreds of songs. And I just organically fell into it as like fun. It's just yeah. a thing I liked. When I got to college, I was offered a job promoting. Oh, at eighteen, yeah, I went over. To, I would walk through the Boston Common to the club and bring a yeah. hundred kids from my school, and they were like. <laughs> They were like, holy shit, you're, you're a good promoter. You know, we want to make you a partner and teach you the road. And, and so very young, I don't know how old I was, but maybe not 18. I definitely started throwing parties at that time. But at some point within that range of college, I was throwing parties, meeting DJs that did it for a living and just really respecting and loving what they did. And through that, we threw bigger parties and met electronic DJs. And that was when I was like, holy shit, this is sick. Like, yeah. I remember, I still remember seeing Diplo at Ocean Club when I was promoting um, and doing a little DJing, but not telling people. I would do like a bar in New Hampshire, like up at the yeah. lake, like a Chinese restaurant, yeah. but nobody yeah. would know because I didn't want to be judged because I was a promoter. Right. A lot of people right. like that guy, you know, the guy that books himself. So I didn't. I played spots that I wasn't the promoter at, but nobody knew. Mm -hmm. And uh, so my roots in music started young and I was doing it, but I didn't know I was doing it. And by virtue of throwing parties, I, I always thought the coolest thing in the room, the most important thing in the room. I was, when I started promoting and was like really killing it, I was before EDM bubble, or not bubble, but before EDM climb, right. before it was cool to pay, like before DJs made a lot of money, I was paying people like David S from New York and like other guys, DJ Mad, like people like that. I was saying, let's give them 1500 bucks and bring them to Boston. And people were like, we don't know who that, why would you do that? Yeah. Like a local guy, 200, right? I'm like, because they're fucking sick of DJing. The music is what matters. That was important to me before anything. And, and my partners and other people I worked with, to their credit, they agreed. Um, so I always loved and respected DJs, and I wanted to be one bad. And I had a background in it, but nobody really knew. By, by a few years in, I was like, okay, I think I'm decent enough to play, to play especially with like Crooklyn Clan, like with edits and stuff. When I started learning, oh, that will carry me through. Like... I have good ideas about music and a general idea, but these edits, especially longer ones, yep. well, I'll be entertaining enough to keep the room. Right. And then, so, and then I got a little more experience, a little more experience, started booking myself. Yep. Um, and then I started gig swapping. Classic. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had a venue and another guy and we'd swap and I'd play decent enough that they'd have me back. And, uh, <laughs> I had a few faults along the way, a few out-of-town gigs where I wasn't prepared because I wasn't a true DJ. I had good music knowledge and a passion, but I didn't, I didn't have the, 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 I had too many crutches. I depended on edits. I depended on, oh, I have good ideas. And you need to fucking know how to DJ when you go to another city because their culture is different. Yep. And, and I learned the hard way there, but that's good. Like you gotta, sometimes you gotta jump in the ocean to swim. Yeah. And so I learned how to play. And years later, I think I'm finally good. <laughs> but it's a long time, yeah. long time. But uh, yeah, that's how it happened, man. I, I liked it because I loved music and I could share, I could make people mixtapes. And then I loved it because I, I loved sports and how music, especially hip hop, played into basketball culture. Yeah. And then party culture and clubs and nightlife and festivals. I just, I was all in. Yeah, man. It's easy to get hooked, right? Weird, weird road, right? Weird road, but it seems like you really like always had a passion for it. Like you said, whether you knew it or not, 
right. you pr seem pretty self-made. Did you have anybody that helped you along the way? Any mentors that taught you how to DJ, how to throw parties? Right. Did you just figure it out? Yeah. So this kid, Mike, um, uh, he doesn't DJ anymore. His name at the time was M1, mm -hmm. but uh, he has a great career and he's like starting a family, I think, and bought a house. So he's, he's moving on. But yeah. he, he was like, um, he was in a fraternity and he always played for them. And then I started booking him at our bars. And I was like, this kid's really good. Yeah. And I, I asked him, because um, he was just a good person. He, there was going to be no hate. I said, look, I like DJing. I have passion for it, but I need to know how to beat match well. I need the, yeah. I need the fundamentals and I need to practice. Would you right. do it with me? And he did it with me, expecting nothing in return. I owe him a ton. Mm -hmm. um, and other people, there's this kid, Richard Frioli. I don't know if you've heard of him. No. He's from, he's probably like, he's a Boston legend. You know, he was playing nightclubs because his dad was a legend. He got, mm -hmm. he had, and, and because he learned early, he was playing clubs when he was like 15, 16. <laughs> like, and that's the era when you had to bring crates and crates and crates of vinyl. Yeah. So he learned the hard way as a kid before he was even allowed in the venues. And, and then 15 years later was still residencies all over Boston and still had a radio mix show on online, still played all, he played ultra like, I think 12 straight years now. What? You know? Yeah. And he's not even, he's a producer, but he hasn't had his moment where a record took off. Right. That's not against him because he makes good music. It's just it's fucking hard. There's luck involved. There's money involved. Yeah. You don't know. Right. So he did have a great record with me though. We had a collaboration years ago and it did really well. But um, he, uh, just from being a skilled DJ and having strong relationships and respect, he gets ultra every year on one of the side stages. Dude. That's sick. So yeah. he's someone I look up to, and he taught me a lot. He would come to gigs. A lot of DJs in Boston hate it. They had an issue with me because it seemed to them I came out of nowhere. Like, oh, he built, he built party culture, oh. which, by the way, is a skill set in itself. Yep. But, so, you know, he gets, the, he gets the play. Fuck that, right? That's how they felt. And I wasn't that good at first, so they also whatever. Mm -hmm. Richard, never. He, he'd come to a set and give me compliments on what was good, offer advice about, you know, what could be better. And from, from day one, has supported my shows, my live streams, calls me weekly, um, has always told promoters that I'm good. I don't know if he believes it or not, but <laughs> that he's, he is, and he's a DJ. This dude's been doing it 20 years yeah. and it's fucking nasty and has always shown me respect and love, always like builds me up. So I think Richard and Mike were huge. And then obviously guys in the studio, there's tons of them. One of them's name is Sip. He's a legend in, in um, Mass. And um, he helped me with production a lot. And um, yeah, so many, so many people really. But those two, Mike and Richard, among others, were like, you know, put their egos aside and were like really there for me. I always love asking that question, man, because... You know, I don't know if anyone's asked you that question recently, right? But it kind of makes you look yeah, back. Yeah. You can't you can't do this stuff on your alone, man. On on you know, alone by yourself. It's really competitive, of course, but there's still so many people that, like I said in the beginning, are willing to help you if you yeah. just ask. And there are gonna be the rude people, right? Because they know that you're coming for their spot. Yeah. But realistically so many it's weird. So <laughs> it's so weird. It's like there's so many gigs available. Like, what are we doing? I, I think it's, I think with people like that, and there's so many in Chicago, of course, you probably have, you know, you can imagine, right? Have you, you've played in Chicago a few times? I feel like that might be one of the like last cities 
Really? I have it. Oh, I got you. I got you. That'd be tight. I I'll bring you that way too. We'll go back to old school. We'll swap. Yeah. Soon <laughs> <laughs> as shit opens, I don't know when that'll be. I don't know when it's gonna happen. But um, you know, it's one of those things where it's like only people lower than you are gonna talk shit about you, but those above you are are gonna ex- extend the hand. So I think a lot of people who do have that sort of mindset, they plateau and they don't know where to go. And the truth is, once you hit that point, you have to find the next level. And it seems like you just kept pushing and kept working and kept working as a DJ. Throwing you, parties. It's like pain tolerance. So I call it like, what are you willing to go through? Yep. You know? Because I'm just kind of outlasting people. That's really it. And I, Dude, yes. I totally relate to that. You literally just got to like stand in line longer than people. I always do this metaphor about everybody's waiting in line for the sickest ride, right? You get in line, you're excited. You watch everybody going on the ride. You're like, I can wait. I can wait. And then people in front of you are like, I can't do this shit anymore. I can't do this shit anymore. You just stay in line. And whoever's with you in line is who you're going to ride with till the end. So I know exactly what you mean. And by the way, if you're super sick, you'll rise to the top eventually, no matter what. Or if you have a viral moment. So you can hit the lottery along the way, too, and that would be great. But for now, I haven't. (laughs) So I just got to fucking, you know, you have those moments. Two times in the (laughs) music industry in general, there's a lot of moments that make you go, fuck this. Like twice in the last two weeks, I've been fucked so hard. Like I'm talking to the tune of $10,000. And yeah, yeah, paid someone to do something, didn't do it. And 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 that happens and they come with excuses and different things. It happens all the time. Yeah. And um, and then, you know, you have to decide if there's other people involved, are you going to make it right for those people? And what is your reputation, reputation going to be like? And yeah. are you going to be able to work through the getting let down and the getting screwed over? And and here's the hardest part that people will get. And I know this isn't part of the question, but at least it made me think of it. Yeah, absolutely. This is the one thing you don't anticipate. When you're trying to do the right thing and build a good reputation and work hard and earn your spot, inevitably things are going to go wrong in other ways. And sometimes they're going to be put on you, and that's even harder. When you're doing the right thing and you know you're a good dude and you are doing your best and you are looking out for the other people, and yeah. they still go around to everybody and say that you're a piece of shit. It's like <laughs> that will make you want to quit because you've gone out of your way to be what no one else is, and they still want to bring you down. Hate will happen. Ignorance will happen. You have to really withstand the pain of that too. And that is, I think, the hardest thing is like, what the fuck, man? I was looking out for you. Yeah. One quick example is I did a song with someone no one's ever heard of. Mm-hmm. And they still haven't heard of him to this day. And I wish they would hear him. He sent me a song. It wasn't good. You know, and I won't do the same so I can be honest about that. Yeah. It wasn't good. But local and if the way his idea of where to sit them was cool enough that i said hey let me work on this like we'll put it out together because yeah. i think that this is really unique and i fucking in love with this vocal mm-hmm. i go but hey who owns the rights like let's get the business part out of the way before i spend 60 hours on this yeah <laughs> and he goes oh i got it off spliced i'm like i've never heard this on splice this is incredible so I'm giving you context here. Not only does beat suck, but he doesn't own the song. The, the vocals, I could have just been. If I was everyone else, I would have said, bye then, fuck you. I'm going to go down. Yep. yep. Royalty free. I didn't do that. I said to this someone that has no fan base and no budget to put into a release, okay, it was your idea to use it. 
I found it because of you. Let's yeah. do it together. I made a beat that was incredible. Incredible to the point that now Dylan Matthew has agreed to get on it, who's like the biggest vocalist in EDM right now. What? I mean, I got I to gotta pay him. We got to work out a deal and do things right. But he loves to be. Still, the quality's there. So <clears throat> this kid, here's the beat. Yeah, that's cool. I like it. Like, dope. Let's go. And I go, okay. But this is how it's going to have to be structured now. Yeah. Things have changed. Because by the time I got done with this, there's nothing left of your – there's like two stems out of the hundred you gave me in there, and they're buried. This is a brand-new song I did. <laughs> I did. And I'm going to pay someone to mix and master this because I want it to be perfect and I'm just not that great at it, right? We need a second set of ears. Yep. And then I'm going to have to pay for the release budget. I'm going to have to use my relationships, my momentum, and my fan base to get your music heard, even though it was your idea to use a vocal art. Right. And all younger producers, please understand, you have to understand your value proposition. Or business people, like young entrepreneurs. When you go to work with somebody, you can't bring an ego into it. You can't fall in love with your creation either. You have to understand who, where the value is coming from. If yeah. I've built a reputation in a distribution channel and I've spent tens of thousands of dollars that I made being a fucking janitor and, and doing personal training clients and four jobs a day yeah. and gigs, right? Taking buses to Kentucky for a gig so I could save money. Like this is shit I did. I slept in a Cleveland bus station because Greyhound fucked me and the bus never showed up. This is what I did to get where I am. And you have the fucking nerve from your bedroom, never done anything, to yeah. tell me you want more credit on a record. But this is how these kids think. What? And, and so I said, look, the, the track is going to go into my album. He's like, put my heart and soul into this, and that's where the budget is. I have no money right now to put out singles. But I have an album coming, and I have a budget. There's been an investor. There's been, like, this is where we can get you heard and discovered. Right. I'm going to put your name still in the title, even though you haven't produced this track. It's a new track. Mm -hmm. It's going to be featuring you, and here's why. On an album track list, look at DJ Snake's album. He has a collab with Skrillex, but it's featuring Skrillex. The reason is the way that you line up the titles, et cetera, through the label, it has to go with the artist of the album. It just makes more sense. It's yep. cleaner, and it right. helps with the metadata. Right. This is an insult to you. I'm going to tag you in every social media post. I'm going to put you on every single press release, and your name is going to be in the fucking song title. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Here's the last part. I want to split 50-50 the business end. You don't have to do that. I'm you paying for it. Guy. Because it's the right thing. You brought me the song. Yeah. Okay? You inspired the idea of where this went. Mm -hmm. This fucking kid flips out. I'm going to get my manager on this. You're trying to fuck me. You want all the credit. Like all the shit. And then goes and tells other people I'm a scumbag and a loser. Now... If I was lying to you about this story, I would have told you his name so that I could like get up on this and build my reputation back. I didn't give you his name, so this doesn't help me to lie. This is a real fucking story. This fucking yep. happens to me. So this kid is going around wherever he's from, somewhere in the Midwest, and telling everyone Greg Gatsby steals beats, Greg Gatsby like whatever he's telling people. I still haven't called him out. I still won't even tell you his name. I hope he wins. That's how I live. But... It does eat it. It makes you want to fucking quit because you're like, what the fuck? You know? Yeah, no yeah. Guess what? The song goes to the graveyard. Great acapella. It fit perfect. And it never gets to come out. Except I stripped his like one stem buried in the background. Stripped it out. Added a new one. Took the vocal off. Even though I the best part. I could have still released it. You don't own it. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to get my lawyer. You don't have a lawyer, bro. I know you're in a bedroom right now. Like, like but guess what? 
I threw it away. The world never gets this song because he's an egomaniac. And, and that happens to me once a month. It is incredible. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a shame. But the good part is when this Corona thing is over and Dylan gets his uh, Coachella show, yeah. which he had but got canceled, I'm going to – I just didn't invest the money now because everything's canceled. Right. But, but he's already started writing. He loves the track. So, you know, we'll get the business end straightened out as soon as shows are back because we want to capitalize on the press of Coachella. Right, of course. But, you know, that's the, that's the happy part. Guess what? I stripped the beat down. You passed on it. And probably the biggest vocalist in the game right now wants it. Like, you're an idiot. Dude, but, you know, great story. Like, that's the shit that people think goes down, but it really does go down. And now, and now there's probably 100 kids in some EDM scene in the Midwest that thinks I tried to steal their boy's beat. Like, his trash-ass beat. Which I didn't even tell him that. I didn't even want to hurt his feelings. I just said, bro, I made it better. I spent a lot of time. I'm going to spend a lot of money. It's got to go on the album. And for that, the title's got to change. We're still splitting it. Dude, look. You'd, you'd be surprised, the ego of these kids. It's crazy. So, humbling yourself, understanding value proposition. Yep. Bringing something to the table. Yep. Appreciating people that have fucking died for the position that they're in. Yep. You know, those are important things for up and coming guys. And then uh, on the flip side, if you are established or you're trying to be, and this happens to you, are you going to bash him? Are you going to spend a ton of money and energy fighting him? Are you going to do the wrong thing and bring negative energy or karma into your career? Uh, or, or are you going to quit? Because it's just getting so tiring making songs with dickheads that have problems with collaborations and things. Like that. Are you going to let rumors about your reputation just because it gets emotional, right? Yeah, are, I'm emotional. I get depressed like bad. Yeah. But so is is that gonna break you? It's pain tolerance. That is the key to my success. Like taking the punches. You know, the boxing metaphor. What yeah. What are you willing to go through? Greg, that's powerful, man. Thank you for sharing that story. True story. Nuts. <laughs> it sounds like crazy, but it's not just him. It happens all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think that's unfair, but it does show that you are a very talented producer, man. But you didn't start off as a producer. You started off as a DJ. When did, like, you actually start releasing music? I, I look back today, 2016, you were making some Future House with your boy Escobar. Great track. I absolutely love it. Guess who's back? What was going on before then when you were coming in kind of that timeline? So I had songs out, but we deleted them. Um, <laughs> I, I just didn't like them, you know? Yeah. Uh, I had a lot of help at that time too. I was going to that kid's sip studio. So the first song I ever put out, it's actually the only one he did with me, but it was a good one, but it's also taken down because it's just such a dated instrumental. And I think the acapella is so sick that I want to redo it. Mm -hmm. um, but I've had a lot of help. You know, I, I, I did grow up in the studio though. You know, mm -hmm. my teammates were always rappers. My first apartment at 18 you know, we had two rappers in the house with mics set up. And, you know, one of the earliest rappers I ever lived with, his name Spitz Nelson. He's worth looking up because he's so dope. Yeah, but he's, he, hasn't, he hasn't blown up, you know, but he's he's just he's just cool, man. He's a throwback to real hip hop, you know. Um, and I'm about to do a song with him. So excited we reconnected. Hell yeah. Like, like what, 10 years later? So oh, more, yeah. than that, more than that, it's 14 years later. It's 2006. Yeah, in 2007, my 2007 roommate. 
So, awesome. and I was a fan of his at the time. Hell so, yeah. Still am, but I was literally a fan. Like I didn't have anything. I wasn't doing anything in music. I was just going to the studio and watching. Right. So I was learning before DJing and before throwing, about the same time as throwing parties. I was learning, but one day I just came to my boy who's a producer with some money and said, uh, you know, make a beat with me and show me how you do it. Yeah. And um, we did like two or three like that. Only one came out. I think we did three, but one came out. It was called Circus Time. Mm -hmm. I think some people like stole it and put it on YouTube. It's somewhere there. Yeah. But <laughs> I stole it and re-uploaded it. Yeah. But in stores, it's been taken down. And um, that will get a second life because it was dope. But it was so corny. It was like, like, yeah, it's fucking three, two, one. Yeah, it's fucking circus time. Like a big room <laughs> drop. Like, I just can't. I just, I thought it was cool in 2015. But, for sure. But, um, or maybe it was 14, 2014. Yeah, that was big room era for sure. 2013, 2014. Yeah. So maybe, maybe 2013. Somewhere around then was like my learning to produce. Maybe 2013. Mm -hmm. But, um, or 2012. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 2012. And I think we released that in 13. But, um, yeah, I had help from Sip. He did literal lessons with me. Um, we made, he would make me go upstairs. He had two studios in the house. He'd make me go upstairs with sample packs and construction kits while he had sessions. And he'd, he'd say, you can't, you don't know music theory yet. That's okay. Yeah. Fucking drag things around and make a song. Just get used <laughs> to the song. Fuck yeah. And yeah. then he'd be like, you know, make sure everything's in key though. And the way you do it, he didn't let me use mixed in key or anything like that. He had the keyboard and I'd hit each key, like individual note. Mm -hmm. And play the sample on loop and hit the note until it sounded like they worked. And then yeah. I read that's the key. And he'd make me do that until I got it right. Wow. He was great. And then um, tutorials online. And then to this day, I'm still not very good. I get help. I'm very, I'm very honest about that. You know, I make a beat and then I go to people that are better than me and I say, what could be better? What, you mm -hmm. know? And if I can't execute it, I ask them to. I say, look, I don't like the piano on this. Can you play it? Uh, can you help me mix this down? Yeah. Um, I collaborate often because I want the best product out. It's inspired by me, but I need other producers to make something great. I just do. Yeah. I'm not a musician. I've taken music theory classes. I'm taking one at Berkeley online right now. It's my yeah. third one. So I try. Yeah, for sure. I feel like I'm just like sending money out, like make me a whole song and I, I don't give a shit what it sounds like. Yeah. You know, but to me, if I say, I make, I make probably a beat a week, but the graveyard. Yeah, They're man. for development and because I like it. Yeah. Uh, most of them you don't get to hear, or you get to hear 80% of that is kept and 20% gets revised with help. And that, that, that's, how, that's how I operate it. I'm not a prodigy. You know, I, I, know, yeah. I, I know guys that are great with piano. I know great guitar players. Um, I know great vocalists. And I say, yeah. let's get together. And I'm a bit of a throwback to the way producers were, where they guided a project and conducted the studio process yeah. but needed musicians. Right. Uh, that's a bit of me, I think. Um, I'm getting better every day, but I'm certainly not as good as the songs sound. And I don't even think the songs sound as good as they should. We're, we're working on it, you know? You never know what's going to happen, right? And sometimes you go back to the graveyard and pull something out back from the dead. I'm about to do that. There's some that I actually love now that I have better perspective and I'm less shy. And uh, how that happens. Yeah, I think it will feel good to be like, oh, that song is all me, you know? Yep. yep. And all these producers listening to this right now are like, what the fuck? That's every song I put out. But for <laughs> me, by the time I'm done with a song, I'm like, it's not good enough. And then I go and find pros to help me polish. 
And I think um, it will feel good to be like, this is flawed, but it's me. Yeah. And uh, I, I hope you love it. And maybe it's even better. Maybe maybe my flawedness is uh, something to appreciate, but it takes a long time to get comfortable with that. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting you mentioned you, uh, you live with rappers and have a lot of hip-hop influence because you certainly have tried a few different genres, kind of within the electronic realm, of course, you know. Um, like I said, Guess Who's Back. I love Ready For It with uh, Maradona, that trap breakbeat. Like, I felt like I was almost like Yellow Claw set. It was awesome, man. You know, so, who, you know who Maradona is? He changed his name. Who? He's Matt Doe, which is blowing up right now. Matt Doe's blowing up. Really? He changed his name to Matt Doe, and he blew up. Who knew? Like, he like, started making rhythm and, like, heavier dubstep when he changed his name. He's up in Canada. He's in Ottawa. Yeah. Mostly known in Montreal. But he just booked, like, every club and festival in the U.S. and then Corona hit. So he didn't get to come play them. He booked Red Rocks. Like, yeah, I, no, I know. So bad for the kid. You know, he's mid-level right now, but he was primed. He finally signed with an agency and was yeah. primed to be the next biggest dubstep guy. Like, biggest. Like, all the big guys are using him right now to work on their tunes or to collaborate. Not all the biggest, that's unfair, but a lot of big names that I can't say. And yeah. he's a wizard, but that was back in his early career and he went by Mari Dane. And um, that was a fun collab. And I love it to this day, but it's just kind of yeah. like, on my Spotify. It's like, I, come on, I'm like 60 minutes, man. I go deep. I loved it. I love it. I love it too. It's good, man. It's good. Um, and then, you know, you, of course, like So Easy version featuring Urbano, that trap beat. You got a yeah. great rap verse throughout that, man. Like, now kind of hearing your story, like, with your influences, old school hip-hop, like, that's some raw shit, man. I really, really like that one. We, we Thank you. We, we reached out to some big rappers this year, and that's going to happen. So I'm about to have some, like, bass house. Because I think I was always, like, future bassy trap at yeah. first. Yeah. And, but I loved house, and you see it sprinkled in. And now yeah. I'm like, I love house so much. I have to do bass house. Like I love the grit of urban percussion and just fuller sounding punching sense. Yep. You know? yeah. But I like the tempo of house. I just mm -hmm. like it. And and that's where my sets end up going. Sometimes, sometimes I end up at 100 BPM or I play trap and dubstep. But a lot of the times, if I get to just be me, it's not a themed festival or a venue, and it's just me. Yeah. I just look. I look back at what I played naturally off yeah. the cuff. And the off-the-cuff stuff is always 120 to 132. I love that. Yeah. But I love hip-hop. So I'm about to do some, like, 132. I'll send you the beats. Like, one is for they're, – they're all for pretty big rappers. So right. 2020 was supposed to be very exciting. <laughs> and uh, for whatever reason, the universe wanted me to wait. And so we'll get like that mindset, man. But that's the future of me, so you know. It's that it's the best of the two genres you've seen from me, but with with rappers over it, and some some with, with vocalists over it too. That's um, great. Yeah, my my album's actually called Before I Go. It's pretty much done, but I'm waiting because uh, it's like the death of the old man. It's like here's the stuff I was making: the pop meets future bass, and um, and uh, I want you to have this this cohesive project that's very musical. Mm -hmm. After this, I'm getting gritty as fuck. And aggressive well, and the, yes. the bandana's coming on you know like the album cover is hand-drawn it's like these aliens abducting me and i've got the bandana Your over instagram there. instagram profile pic that that face is yeah is a logo but the the profile pic isn't the cover i'll send you the cover it's Dude, fucking fuck, yeah. epic but it's it's a metaphor for 
I love hip hop. I love grittiness. I love bass house. I love aggressive sets. I, I don't want to play pop music. I, I like making it because it's kind of feels good songwriting. Yeah. The best at, but um, I don't. That's not how I DJ. I don't play any of my songs when I DJ. That's a problem. Yeah. So that's another good advice for producers. It's okay to change. Everyone wants to fit a genre and dive in and like. If you if you move from it, you're gonna lose your fan base type shit. I, you gotta do what feels right. And if you learn after five years of playing live in different clubs that you're not playing your music, yeah, making the right music, bro. It took yep. me that long to admit it, but so you know I might pull a floss where they made aggressive shit, and every once in a while you heard a pop record yeah. just because I like it. Yeah. But after before I go, which is my musical project, it's very cinematic, future based pop. It's cool. It has interludes. After that, it's no more open face, Greg. It's bandana. It's aggressive. <laughs> Which, by the way, is a, it's not a gimmick. It's a metaphor for what Gatsby meant to me growing up. The book, the story of being faceless, of trying to achieve something greater than yourself, not for the attention, but for something else you're grasping for, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, building this epic party and this, and this experience for that thing that you really want. It's not about you, right? It's 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 uh, it's bigger than that. So that and the prohibition era, you know, the bandits, it just makes sense. Awesome. So that's why I'm, that's why I've transitioned. That's why the logo is different. That's why my last ten gigs, I've had the the thing on the face. It's not like a marshmallow attempt. It's a yeah. How do I, how do I find a brand that's real to my name and what I think? And also being an introvert, I feel better covered up. Yeah, so fuck I put it. a bandana on and a hat low, and all of a sudden you're comfortable going nuts and i wasn't before i'm just i'm too much of a uh, shy guy so before i go it'll be a fun album i hope people get it but it's the death of me being this pop future bass guy it's hell yeah it's uh that guy's gone you're turning the corner yeah and i've got about five beats done for the new me and they're fucking aggressive it's dope <laughs> i think it's important to evolve as an artist man like there, there's something to be said about people who find their way and they love that and they do that and they build that. You know, someone like an AC Slater, right? Like he's always going to make night bass type tracks. I love his shit. Right. And he definitely is able to make different stuff too. I love your floss example. Um, but I think it's fun, you know, as like a diehard fan for anybody. Like if you really believe in that artist and who they are, then you're going to follow their path. So I right. fuck with that, man. I'm excited. That's great. I think it'll be better because I actually like it. You know, yes. I like the pop stuff, but do I love, it, you know, and I don't find myself streaming it. If you don't go to your own Spotify once in a while, I mean, I don't know if that's normal or not. Maybe you get sick of your music because you make it, but mm. I don't go ever yeah. to my Spotify. Yeah. So I just feel like that's a problem. I want to be in love with the tracks. And I think these new ones, they fucking knock. It's cool. Hell yeah, bro. Uh, I want to ask you, because um, for someone who features a lot of vocalists and other producers in the studio, right, do you have a rhyme or reason whether you like to do it remotely? I know, obviously, your track with Ulf Nilsson, he's not in the U.S., right? No, he's in Sweden. So, he won the voice in, in Sweden. Did he? he? The, yeah, he won the voice and signed to Universal. And that's when I met him, after that, because I knew his manager. Or I use it. We have the same manager. <laughs> A great track, and I do hear a little bit. There's got a lot of different types of flow in that, so I, I love that track. But um, what's like your preferred method for um, collabing with vocalists? Like, do you like to have them in the studio if you can? The songwriting process, you know, tell me more. So, 
I love, I love I'd rather be together. Yeah. Um, it's not always possible. Right. But I don't always love to be together in the beat making process because it's so tedious and so long and it is so personal. And you do a lot of things that are subconscious. I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but you make a lot of mistakes and you do a lot of dumb ideas. And yeah. you probably shouldn't care because that's part of what makes it great. Mm-hmm. But I do. I just do. Yeah. I yeah. kind of don't want the other producer to hear it until it's cool enough. Yeah. So I get subconscious and I also take a long time. I'm very slow. And so having someone that's dope sitting next to me while I take forever, I just <laughs> found it uncomfortable when I do it. Yeah. Um, so I do it, but I prefer not to. Now, a vocalist in a songwriting session, I love it in person. And, and even with my clients. So for producers, what I've been able to do and why I can afford to live in L.A., is barely by the way but it's a good life at this point <laughs> yeah what i've been through right i'm certainly doing better than i ever have and that is not because my the sales on my spotify streams check is so big it's because i've been able to position myself as a producer working for artists as well and labels and so yeah you want to build yourself as an artist all of us producers that dj want the tour we want to play live we want a brand but every producer including your favorite big ones are producing for other people also yeah and that's where you make the most money and as soon as i could transition to that and by the way my other manager and co-manager ashwin he he's more on the uh consulting marketing side like uh building relationships he's kind of an la connect brands and people type of guy awesome and, 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 and developing personal philosophies in business. And one thing he taught me is you, you, you're only worth what you ask for. You're only worth what you, whatever you define it as. People are not gonna offer you more than what you ask. Yeah. So being reasonable, sure. Proving yourself, sure, early on. But I found as my rate went up, I was more desirable. Hmm. And people are willing to pay it. Hmm. Not everybody, but some are. And then yeah. you can work less and do a better job. Yeah. And so um, as I've positioned myself to do that, I've been able to make much more money and have more time for myself. And um, and my point of the story is I do both. I do Greg Gatsby, and I also yeah. just produ- I'm just a producer. Sometimes that involves getting songwriters together and just and having an engineer in the studio and just bringing the best vibe together. I'm really good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it involves songwriting, literally. Sometimes it involves making a beat for someone. Yeah. But sometimes it involves finding other producers when I don't have time to make a beat for someone and guiding that process. Yeah. Putting my touch on it, final polishing, yep. giving advice, but conducting multiple songs at once. It's another way to make good money. It's the nature uh, of the business, man. Like, thank you for your honesty on that front because I, I've heard that, but I think maybe some people aren't willing to admit it, but it's just, it is the process. It's vicious industry to try and make money in. I, I, I really question... This is what I want to challenge people that have a negative conversation for it. What is the real, if you really break it down to its essence, producers are meant to produce a project, whether it's film or music. You need to bring out the best product for someone that's willing to pay. That is your fucking job. What is wrong with collaborating often, with mitigating projects, with inspiring projects, with, with producing for other people? That's what you fucking do. There's always been artists that didn't do the song themselves since the beginning of time. They happen to perform it better, or they happen to draw listeners better. So you can actually, your music can actually get heard. And by the way, you're feeding, I I really want to challenge people to think of it this way. By producing for other people, 
you're helping feed your economy. We as artists need to pay each other for parts of songs in order to survive. Yeah. This, we need to fund our own economy. So I love paying a singer to get on a song. I don't even yeah. want it for free. Like, unless I know that I'm bringing such an exorbitant value compared to them and I give them a big piece of the song. That's right. Fair. right. But I love paying someone to help out or to mix and master my track because I'm feeding. And now they get to continue to produce or continue to DJ or continue to be an engineer. They need clients. We're our only clients. Like a, a fan doesn't need a mix and master. <laughs> they don't make music. True. You fucking everything yourself. How are people going to make money? Yeah. Like, you know, unless you're making huge records and the publishing split is that good. But yeah. that happens later. Um, you know, I'm finally now getting some publishing money. Like it takes fucking forever. Yeah. You, it's a good thing. We should share in projects. We should collaborate. We should pay for these things. It's not just about you or we don't have a community. Mm -hmm. And so, and by the way, you're stripping. If you don't find the best people to collaborate with, unless you're fucking Skrillex, unless you're a genius, unless you're Flume, like <laughs> you're actually robbing us of the best product. You inspired it. I don't care if someone else did your percussion. Like, I don't, why would I care? I don't understand the con. I guess people care, but it's one thing to, you know, take daddy's money and buy 10 tracks, never yeah. touch it, never inspire it, never give a shit about it, and then tell the world you've created this for them and then have a relationship with a fan. That's right. Fine. That's a thing of its own, for sure. I agree. That's fucked. Yeah. But if you give a fuck about the product and you have input, I don't care if you need help. I don't. And, and, and if you're striving to get out of that space, uh, that's great for you. You know, you have an opportunity to grow and to contribute more. But at least at the beginning, you contributed to our economy. I need these kids to come to me for help so I can make money. True. Otherwise, there's no more Greg Gatsby playing these shows. Yeah. It's not, there's, not enough, there's not enough cash flow for that. Yeah. So I, I just want to help producers maybe change the lens you're looking at it through. Like, it's good to collaborate. It's good to pay people to help. It's good to accept money to help people. This is the, every other industry does it. Everybody, I just had painters come to the house. Well, he didn't fucking do it himself. Like he had some guy lining the tape and right? Like the guy yes. needed a job. Yes, fuck yes, like, yes. Fuck that painter, he didn't do it himself. Good job, bud. Like you needed someone else to do the trim. Yeah. He just got the job done better and quicker. Yeah. Someone else got to feed their family. To me, it's, it's the same thing as long as you're not completely uninvolved and then telling a fan who has a relationship with the words in your song or something. Yeah. That's, that's fucked to me. Cause someone's spending money on your product, devoting this love and attention to you and you're absorbing it and saying, yes, look how great I am. Ugh. Yeah. That, that is rough, but not every production contract is like that. And so I really think DJs should look into collaborating more to get the best out of their project or if you're that sick and you do and you just make crazy good music yourself and you love the process yourself, which is great, uh, you should do what I'm trying to do now and, and work for other people, you know, and help them with their projects and make some money. And the whole point of my rant, am I still there, by the way? It's frozen. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're good. Okay. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, but the whole point of this was to say with the Greg Gatsby projects and with the stuff I'm producing for other people for pay. I'm getting in the studio with them now, both. So 
even if I'm producing your project for you, you're flying in to see me. And in most cases. Right. So I really prefer to be together. Singers that need a beat from me, we book a session together. We fly out somewhere, you know, wherever it is they want to record, and I'll come and we'll make a song together um, if they have the budget. So I do prefer to answer your question very long-winded. I'm sorry. I do prefer to be together. <laughs> I think we left off talking about ghost producing. You know, again, uh, I uh, appreciate your transparency on it since I've gotten into the music industry. It's been sort of taboo to talk about, but over the past 365, I would say, I've noticed a lot more people being open and, like you said, really helping each other out in the music commerce society, so to speak. You know, there really is financial backing that we need to help each other with. So yeah. I, I appreciate you sharing. I do think blanketed ghost production is kind of whack. Like, I'm, I'm with right. you. I, I think you should inspire your sound if you're going to claim it to your brand. Yeah. But I, I just, my only point was you got to find a way to make money in this space. And if you can help other people uh, achieve, you know, the, the music, the standard of music they want, um, and you can make money doing it, I think, yeah. it's, a, I think it's a great path. And my only point of even bringing it up was to circle back to now that I have clients that I produce with them for, especially singers who that right. isn't production, they just need a producer. That's every singer. Yeah. Um, I like to get in the studio with them. Um, right. so it's a priority to me to be together. So we've been doing the thing where we fly in, you know, they either come here or I go there. You know, recently we did a mutual location. I did one with the singer. That's pretty dope. And nice. that was a lot of fun. We went somewhere that neither of us live. That's great. Yeah, outside your comfort zone, right? Yeah, it was, it was neat. It was good. I love that, man. Uh, Greg, I want to ask you um, just real quick, man. I mean, with all these productions and all the hard work you've put in, like shows are gonna shows are going to come up, right? You've had a lot of success, man. Some crazy stats here. 300 shows across six countries and 100 venues. You even threw your own Miami Music Week party, man. I mean, it's For so five, cool. For years. Yeah, dude, that's, that's incredible. And it was so funny because I that was – I was going to go to Miami this year for the first time and just get that experience. So depressed that I couldn't go to Winter Music Conference. Um, Me too, because I had three gigs and my own show organized. And I don't even know about deposits. I still don't know if I'm going to get my money for my flights. Brutal. Brutal, man. I know. It's tough, but it's really yeah. cool. To and you're right. It's just fun. To I know. Fuck, man. Well, next year for sure I'll be there. Front row. Um, you came so far with like putting on your own parties in – <laughs> you know, Boston, and here you are in Miami Music Week, the mecca of electronic music productions. So props to you there once again, man. Um, I just want to ask, you were on tour or you played with Travis Scott? When was that? That was in Philadelphia. Ashwin. He just went upstairs. Um, that was in Philadelphia at the uh, TLC, I think it's called. It's a Live Nation venue. Yeah. And a uh, long time ago, early in my... You know, he was, he, I think he had just, one of his early big records was with T-Pain. I mean, um, uh, um, what the hell is wrong with him? <laughs> Must be the boxing, right? My brain, my brain never works. What's that? Two Chains, 3,500? No, it wasn't the Two Chains record. It was, uh, it was right after a big collaboration, but he wasn't huge yet. Right. You know, this was, this was, he was the headliner. People knew him in Philly. Right. Um, but, uh. And it was like a sneaker convention too. It was cool. It was like a sneakerhead yeah. display with like um, a couple of like legendary uh, DJs, and um, 
and I played this like infusion of hip hop and trap. It was like a cool EDM meets hip hop set is what I did okay. right before Travis. And then he got thrown out. True story. He got the security <laughs> cut. Is- a good story. This is why I asked. <laughs> yeah. I, if I remember it right, it was mayhem. And he like told people to rush the stage and, <laughs> and security's like, no. And I think they cut his mic because he was making everyone go so crazy. He was wild. <laughs> yeah he brings the energy man but i just wanted to ask that i mean also gta waka flocka santa van doren bass shackers man um for those that yeah. haven't seen a live set i guess now moving forward kind of hearing your new direction what what is your grit or, or greg gatsby type set you know maybe that you're gonna incorporate the mold style and move forward as well the best way to compare what it's been and i'm not saying i'm them at all but when I hear them, it's what excites me, and it's where I end up playing like, I think, is a lot like GTA. And I've okay. actually opened, I've opened for them four or five times. Mm-hmm. I've played with them in Rhode Island. I've played with them on a cruise ship. I've played with them uh, um, in two different clubs in Boston. And I think, one, I think maybe Miami I played early. Um, hung out with them a bunch at these different things. And yeah. I, just, I just respect and appreciate them so much. Yeah. And... I just happen by the end of my set, it feels a bit like what they would do. Really diverse. Yeah. Aggressive. Um, there's an electronic underline to everything. It's dance music, but is it really? You know, yeah. they're playing acapellas from classic records that you want to sing along to. They're mm-hmm. playing Latin music, which I love. They're playing dance hall and they're playing um and they're playing hip hop. Yeah. And, but now, but somehow it flows. You know, it feels like one genre even still. And um you know, I end up playing three or four of their tracks a night because it just happens. <laughs> yeah. I just think it's so dope. So yeah. I, uh, if I had to compare, I think I fit well in that, in that space. But um, sometimes I tailor it, man. I played in Trinidad and I played fucking dance hall and I played records, uh, you know, from their local community. And yeah. I, I played it with an EDM undertone. I played a lot of like major laser too. But, yeah, you know, I play to where I am with a, with a texture of me. And I think what me is, is um, uh, aggressive, quick transitions, and um, and then a little flavor of whatever I know the people want to. You know, I try to play to the crowd, not to me. Yeah, you learned that in the early days, right? Yeah, I did. I did. You have to be huge if you're going to play one tempo in one genre with, like, one feeling for two hours. You have to make sure everyone in that room came because it's you. Like, Hardwell can't do what he does in 90% of clubs in America. It won't work. He has to go to the 10% that have that crowd, and they only came for him. I'm not saying he doesn't know how to DJ. I'm sure he could play to that crowd. But I'm saying if he played his set that you've seen, we've all seen, it will fall on deaf ears in certain places. Yeah. I learned, I learned that at the Phoenix. In, um, it's a uh, pretty dope club in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. They hated me. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it. it was a long time ago you know i sucked i'm good now but i wasn't and um i was good at doing one thing and yeah. that was not the thing they wanted that night i was told it was what they wanted i practiced what they wanted you practice what they wanted shit you know a lot of these producers and djs now are having success like just doing one thing like they just do rhythm for and 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 they find the rooms and the crowds to their credit they find the space that wants that and right. so good for them but um, if they want to play a lot of diverse rooms or expand their schedule, uh, they're going to have to spin and really spin. 
And I think the proper way to do that is to play what the people want and then mix in your style to educate them on it. Mm-hmm. You don't beat them over the head with it, you sprinkle it in. And I think yep. that's my style is I play my way, but I sprinkle in what I know that region or that country um, or that venue is accustomed to so that people can feel comfortable and they can, they can be educated by you as a DJ, learn new music, but not be beaten over the head with it. That's that. what I do. you think that's what makes someone like Diplo so special? That is 100% what made Diplo an absolute legend. And probably what makes him get hated on, too. Yeah. Some of the like, electronic purists are like, they don't get it. This dude was yeah. a fuck. This dude was an animal 15 years ago. Like, it's true. You, were, you didn't even know you were in someone's ball sack when he was collecting records. And he went to India for six months with no money and traveled looking for records to bring to England. You know what I mean? Like, he's a legend. He's fucking he's a music. This is a fucking animal and he can play. Yep. You know, he's just choosing to influence multiple genres and to maximize his income, which is not a crime. Like he's making no. popular records because most people like the popular, that's what pop means. So Diplo to me, I have so much respect for him. And I think I first fell in love and this is probably, this is taboo to say. I had been to all electronic shows and I had loved them. But until I saw Diplo live in 2012 or 13 at Ocean Club, maybe 12, from the stage, I was right there. So I felt back and saw how he bridged genres. Yeah. I I didn't know you could do that. And when I saw that, I was more in love. And I was like, okay, full time, I want to DJ. I want to do what he just did. You know? I'm I'm right behind you in line there, Greg. Like, first time I saw him live, I was already a big fan of electronic music. I saw him at a festival. And he played the opposite of what I was expecting. And it was one of the best sets I've ever seen in my life because he was changing genres, transitions, mashups, sing-alongs. Like, I was with people who didn't like certain types of music. And we were all singing along together. And I'm like, God damn, like, this is what it's all about. How do you get to this level? And I think he's one of the biggest icons in electronic music and DJs, too, because he's just... A hard worker man like he's done so many great things and he does all these other projects i mean the major laser silk city he's now in this house rem too higher ground label right I'm, I'm sure you got respect for that he the fact that he was able to go on things like good morning america and all these major publications to talk about dance music we yeah. all should thank him because yes. he made it okay he made it he's one of the few that made it real that we could be millionaires doing this yes like millionaires and yep. um, there's a few people that stick with their genre that are millionaires, you know, in each genre. Yeah. But um, it's very hard to make legacy money, like generational money. Right. And um, if you want to, like, influence an industry, you kind of have to make that much money, you know, because you have to be able to invest back into the industry and do things like build a label and, you know, and, and, and fund records that you believe in that maybe aren't normal. You know, Mad Decent was so creative for so long. But yeah. that happened because Diplo's success. Yes. He, he had to have money to do that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and influence. Yeah. And, uh, and Fool's Gold, you know, and A-Track. And like, oh, you know, yeah. Like, all that stuff. That, that came from those guys bridging genres and experimenting and playing sets that appealed to more than one type of person. Yes. So owe them. We even owe Steve Aoki a lot. I agree, too. 100%, man. He gets a lot of hate, and... It doesn't make sense to me because that guy was DJing. Let's talk about CB Oki for a second. This yeah. man was DJing underground parties in LA with DJ Am, the greatest DJ of all time. Dude, did you listen to that interview? Who was he oh, with? Back to back. 
So he yeah. must know how to DJ better than all of us. Yes. Playing with AM and he's not laughing you out the room and you're best friends. Fact. You can fucking spin. So I don't care if he throws a cake or plays one genre now. Oh yeah, he, he was on Joe Rogan. It was Joe Rogan. He was talking about that shit, man. Before there was cameras, it was the craziest parties back in LA with DJ AM and Steve Aoki and all these celebrities. You're so right. Yep. He he is better than all of us. So let him play whatever the fuck he wants right now. You know what I mean? He paid his dues. I agree. You know, and he built a label off of like underground music and rock. You know, like he—that's a music guy. He knows every genre like the back of his hand and influenced yeah. an incredible label. So much respect for him. I really hate to see the blogs turn on these guys because they play like a mainstream genre and have, have a few gimmicks in there. It's not gimmicks to them. It's entertainment value. Yeah. And it's an important thing to think about as a DJ producer. How am I going to bring entertainment value? Because anybody can play, you know, 20 rhythm tracks in a row, you know? Yeah. It's one tempo and in one key most of the time with the same structure. Yep. But can you do it and engage people? Yeah. And sometimes that takes some fanfare. I don't yeah. think you judge anyone for that. No, you can look at what Excision's built, right? For sure. The production value, how much care he puts into his set, the design. Um, and even him, sure, it's predominantly one feeling, one genre, one production. Yeah. But it's right. very diverse in its delivery. Yes. Uh, the layering he does, like, he's still challenging himself every time. Yeah. Um, although I don't think anyone hates on him because it's just so next level of the show. He's, he's the top of that space. You know, yeah. He's the man, but I, I, I've got so much respect for those, those true OGs that are still fucking grinding, man. And I don't know why they get hate too. I'm right there with you. It doesn't make sense. They, they open the door for you. to If you want to do one genre, if bass music is the only thing that matters to you, which I love bass music, and you think that's the only real, or you think techno is only real, all those, they all got bigger because of those guys still. Yeah. The acceptance. Remember, remember playing house records and someone would be like, you listen to techno? <laughs> <laughs> like, but yeah. the world is educated now, right? Yeah. And they're accepting of these different genres and it's making it to the fucking radio. Hey, Loon. There we go. Start the show. She's shy. She's not going to look at the camera. Um, <laughs> you know, so we owe them a lot as much as they get hated on by like purists. I agree. Yeah, I agree, man. Um, of course, now, like I said in the beginning, right, like we're all on the bench from Diplo to Steve Aoki to you to me. And it's tough times, man. And the question I was asking even before this was so much has changed in the past 10 years, which you've really touched upon a lot with all the genres that have come and gone. Now looking at where we're at now, what do you think is going to happen over the course of the next year and maybe even beyond that for the electronic music world and DJs even specifically? Well, right now, I mean, it looks a bit like you really have to understand Twitch to make some money um, in yeah, terms of playing sets. Yeah. Streaming is the way. Video games. You know, I had to talk with my manager the other day and he said, look, we're out of shows for a year at least, he thinks. That's what he thinks. Um, I, yeah, for sure. So, uh, at least consistent shows. Yeah. And that's if we have progress you know who knows if this thing strikes again in the fall right so um we he goes we got focus on video games and you know maybe we're not on Tra marshmallow or travis scott's level so i don't think fortnite's gonna do a great gatsby concert but, <laughs> but we can license our they need more they you know the, the space is huge everybody's streaming and playing games and there, there's really good sync opportunities to make money off your music placing it in video games and onto these platforms 
Mm-hmm. Um, so figuring out those opportunities to get your music placed is a good way to make money and to stay creative. And it's a new challenge for me. And so that's the focus for this year is getting, you know, getting into that space, esports and um, some of these other games. Love that, man. How do we, how do we monetize that? And um, yeah, licensing whole world. So that to me is it. And then streaming, you know, and you gotta, you gotta wait it out for the live gigs. I'm playing a set Saturday night at a club in South Carolina that I was supposed to play, but I can't play now. Um, but I'm playing it virtually. Nice. Um, but, but the same, you know, it's, you're not making the money. You're not like, you know, I don't get to interact with people. Um, so it's a bummer, but you do what you can. You get an opportunity like that. I say, you say yes, because, um, it's a chance to still play. You know, you make the most out of it. I'd say this year, work on your craft, continue to network, do what you're doing. You're grinding, you're doing your podcast, you're creating yeah. content. Um, any way to stay involved. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm certainly yeah. trying. Yeah. That's, that's the way to do it. And, um, support your local venues, your local promoters, um, you know, be a friend to them while they have nothing to give you because they'll probably fucking remember. Yeah. If you fall off now, um, you might not be the guy they book when they're back. If they get back, by the way, if you, if you're getting, um, if you still have a job, if you're lucky enough, still have a job and you're okay, you're making, you're getting by fine, you know, give to these organizations that give back to musicians or venues. If you see like, uh, uh, to me, you hit the lottery if you see a GoFundMe for your local club because they're trying to pay their staff and their rent because they're closed. Because if you contribute to that, um, I think I think they'll remember that, that you cared about keeping that venue in your community. So if you can, I'd say give to the arts, give to your venues, um, your local bars, because they could they might not be there. You know, they're talking about some some legendary venues in LA, in Texas, I just saw Dallas, like some legendary venues, like venues that have been around since the beginning and have made people's careers mm-hmm. are leaving. They're going out of business. I know. And, and the saddest part of the whole thing is to me, those venues are what makes cities that city. You know? Sure, like, some of them are synonymous. Yeah. With, yeah Prism in Chicago, you know, Avant Gardner in New York, all these big places, right? Like, they rely on concerts. And if that's not happening and the thousands of people that they employ or hundreds, whatever it is, like those are what may, and small businesses too, like restaurants, yeah. bars. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's Chicago without a big bar scene, man? Yeah. Yeah. It's not Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very sad. So I say stay involved with your, with your industry and, and yeah. help where you can. And if it's not money, maybe you can volunteer something, but, yeah. um, I think if you just go ghost, you might not be you might not be the resident anymore, or you might not get that opening slot that you've been begging for. Yeah, uh, that's that's the purely self, you know, self preservation way to look at it. But it's also just the right thing to do. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Contribute. But that's what I'd be doing this year. I'd be working on my craft. I'd be networking, podcasting, streaming sets, mm-hmm. and um, and I would be supporting my industry even if they're not open, because they're probably going to remember that you were like, fuck it. I don't want to, you know, if a club asks you to do a set, a live stream for their, for their Instagram, and it's really hard for you because you don't have a green screen or you don't have a setup at home, 
my suggestion is fucking figure it out. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. Because they'll remember your effort, you know, and they need content right now, just like you need opportunities to play. Yep. So just do it. Find a way. That, that's that's what this year looks like, I think, for DJs. I agree, man. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an uphill climb, but, um, you know, I keep using that, that bench reference because – this is a time when we are going to need to collaborate with each other, like what we're doing right now, you know? So just talking about it, like honestly, 30 minutes after this, I'm interviewing another local Chicago DJ on Instagram and we're just going to talk about what he's been doing and what he thinks of the whole situation. And, you know, it's actually been, it's been a good opportunity for someone like me to continue to give this, you know, background look at what it's like to be a musician, a DJ in the music industry to the rest of the world. Like, we're struggling, man. It's tough, but yeah. we have to help each other. So it's just something we're going to have to overcome together. Yeah. The arts in general, for people that aren't musicians that are listening yeah. to this, like yeah. if you have a job or you're well set up, good investments, maybe you're collecting unemployment, plus you have investments, whatever it is. If you're in yeah. a position, but you love the arts, you love music, you, you love your local artists, um, find a way to get involved and contribute because the unemployment situation for a lot of um, self-employed, you know, musicians and performing artists is actually more difficult than they think. They say that self-employed people can get unemployment now, but um, it's a confusing process. It's easy to get it wrong, and they're so backed up in your state's office that they might never get to your fucking. They might never under. They might never fix the error you made or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and so some of these TJs and musicians. At no fault of their own, cannot work anymore, and also are not getting unemployment. And they're like, "Fuck, I have rent." You know, <laughs> I'm not getting unemployment. Yeah, I can't go to work. Yeah. So, luckily, I, I you know, I diversified my my music, and I'm getting by. But um, I would like an extra six hundred dollars a week from the government so I could pay this rent through, <laughs> which a lot of people are getting. Yeah. I, for whatever reason, I can't, and that's okay. But you know, there's some people out there that really—they got kids and they've been—they've been touring professionally for ten years, and we think they're millionaires. They're not, man. Some of them yeah. were making five hundred a night plus a flight, and they were splitting with a manager and getting taxed, and they just get by and they have a good life. But now that they can't work, they don't. And yeah. there's foundations out there right now collecting money to try to help them with personal because they're not getting unemployment. It's the truth, man. So, I don't know, just things to think about. Let's, let's keep the arts alive and contribute where we can because uh, a lot of people are hurting. In every industry, by the way, I have empathy for every industry. Yeah. But, uh, including people on unemployment. It's not a luxury life, for sure. You know, it's, it's hard. But um, these are tough times. So, if you're able to help, especially us, you know, people in the music space, I think it's a little bit more of a vague space for the government to assist with. It's, like, tough to define. Right. You know, who needs help and why and, and so on. For sure, man. I love that. Well, listen, this has been such an awesome interview. I really appreciate you sharing some great stories. Again, I've got a ton of respect for you. You got a big fan following in Chicago. So once this is all said and done, man, I got you. Okay. I'm going to keep you posted. I got you, man. I got you. I, this is, uh, this will be episode 112. So we've got about a hundred other previous guests that I've had on that I'm definitely going to show some love for you as well, too. Cool, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. And shout out to Joe again for linking us up. And uh, I'll keep you posted on the release and everything. But again, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. My guy. Hey, good luck with those breakers. <laughs>
<laughs> I just called in between our interview. I called and was like, what's up? Like, can we get someone here? Because I haven't built my studio yet because I can't plug anything in. It's ridiculous. You know, <laughs> I can run TV. That's it. TV and, yeah. TV and Wi-Fi and a computer. Yeah. And that, that barely the Wi-Fi. Yeah. I don't know. Jeez. We'll get it worked out. First world problems. I'm pretty sure they'll fix the breakers. So, <laughs> absolutely, man. Well, you have a great, uh, great day and a good weekend here coming up. It's Thursday. I just forget what day it is all the time. So, fuck it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> all right, brother. We'll talk soon. All right, man. Talk to you soon, Greg.